This is Lead Minister Nathan Pelahowski of RSCC. I just want to welcome you to the RSCC podcast. Here's something I want you to know. I want you to know that you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says that you matter when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Today I hope this message challenges you and encourages you to take your next faith step. Good morning. Good morning. All right, welcome to church. It is awesome to be with you. Hey, my name is Nathan. If this is your first time here, welcome. We're in this series called Paparazzi, and it's just a fancy name that we give the book of James. But we're looking at the book of James, and the book of James is all about this, show me your faith. And that's kind of what we've been looking at. And today, we're going to continue this, and I'm going to be up front as we read uh, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. So if you got your Bibles, you can flip there. It's going to seem like James is like skipping a lot, and skipping like topics and going back and forth, but we will connect it all and make it all make sense, but I want to do something. I know you just sat down. Will you stand up with me, please? And we're going to stand up, and we're just going to pray together, and we're going to pray that God speaks to us and moves us, and we're going to pray to open our hearts and our ears to what God has to say today. So let's pray. God, we are so thankful that we get to come in your presence today. We get to worship you, Father. So I pray at this time uh, that whatever we had on our minds when we came through the doors today, we just let it go, God, and we listen for your spirit. We allow your spirit to move within us today, God, and and we really listen to the words that James uh, talks about today because this can change our lives, God. And, and we know this matters to you. If it matters to you, it has to matter to us, God. So move in our hearts. Allow my words to be your words, God. And, and we just thank you so much for everyone here. We thank you most of all for Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for doing that. So I remember... And this is kind of weird. I remember the first time I remember playing a video game. It was on a system that looked a little bit like this picture in a second. Anybody play this system before, right? So for those of you who don't know what this is, this actually came, I, I think it came out in 1984. So if you're in the, are there any 80s babies around here, right? So I, I guess 80s babies were called Nintendo babies. I don't know what that means, but this was the Nintendo, right? It's this like amazing system. And this was top, this was top of the line. Like you got a controller with like A or B. That's all you got, A or B, right? And then, like, you put the video game in here, and if it doesn't work, what do you do? You take it out, and you blow on it, and you slam it, and then you put it back in, and hopefully it works, right? And this video game system was amazing. It changed video games forever. There's, like, Mario. And who doesn't like being a plumber running around and jumping on top of mushrooms, right? That's a great game. And then there's this cool game called Duck Hunt. And like you have a controller shaped like a gun and you literally pointed at this TV that was like this this big and you couldn't move it even though it was like 13 inches, it was so heavy. And you'd point at the TV and you'd shoot the ducks and they would die and they'd come to the ground and the dog would go and get them, right? That was awesome. And then there was the, the Bo Jackson football game, right? Where Bo Jackson couldn't be stopped. That was amazing. But my favorite game on this system that I played was Mike Tyson Punch Out. That was the best game. And, and growing up, so I, I didn't grow up when Mike Tyson was really amazing. I knew Mike Tyson as the crazy dude who bit another man's ear off, right? I remember that. Evander Holyfield's ear. He bit it off. But before that, Mike Tyson was a bad man. He, he was top, you know, he was top dog. No one could knock him out. And he was knocking out everybody. And he had this video game. And on this video game, the, the objective was real simple. The objective was to get to the last level so you could fight Iron Mike Tyson. That was the objective. So you would go through and you would fight these fighters with like weird names, like Glass Joe and there's something like Great Tiger, something Hippo, and you would fight them. And if you played the game long enough, because the technology was kind of lacking and was it could only advance so far, you could figure something out. You could figure out that every opponent you played 
had a combination or a pattern. B, B, A, A, B, B, A, right? You could just hit the buttons and they would move certain ways and you can move. And every level, once you figured out that pattern, you would beat your opponent. And you would do that all the way to Mike Tyson. <clears throat> and once you got to Mike Tyson, he was pretty hard to beat, but if you played it enough, all you would have to do is figure out the pattern, and you figure out the pattern, and eventually, what would happen, <coughs> sorry, what would happen is you would beat Mike Tyson, and you go throughout this entire game, and then you start playing the system more and more, and you realize, oh, on the Bo Jackson game, there was a certain pattern. If you ran that pattern, you couldn't get tackled. And duck hunt, the ducks would fly up in the same pattern over and over again, right? And what, what was important was once you figured out the pattern of your opponent, you could beat your opponent. Why is that important? Well, because if you can beat your opponent and figure out what, what they do, then you're always going to beat them. So what we're going to look at today is an opponent. And the same thing that Nintendo did, and uh, you can figure out the, the, the pattern or the process, James is going to say, you have an opponent. And, and there's going to be a pattern, a process, if you will, that you need to follow, that if you follow this, you will beat your opponent. And the opponent's a big deal. And if you don't beat this opponent, if you don't follow this, this pattern, this process that we're about to lay out for you, you're going to have issues over and over and over again in your life. So he says there's an opponent, so we got to remember today as we start, there's an opponent, but there's also a process to beat the opponent, that the opponent doesn't have to win, the enemy doesn't have to win. And we'll get to all, what all that means in a second, but I want to do this. I want you to imagine with me, I want you to go back to the last conflict you had, the last fight you had, the last person you fought with. Now, I want you to be very, very careful because that person that you last fought with could be sitting next to you right now, right? So be careful. And I want you to think about who you fought with. I want you to think about what you fought about. Again, be careful, because you may have fought on the way to church today, right? I know not some of you have a far drive, but I bet you someone in this room today woke up and they fought with someone, right? So I'm just assuming that. I want you to think about who you fought with, what you fought about, why did you fight, what was going on. But most importantly, I want you to think of the most important question, who was the blame? Who was, whose fault was it? Now, I don't know who you fought with. I don't know what you fought about. I don't even know what, it was, you know what was going on in your life, but I do know who you think at, who was at fault. The person you think at was fault, it was the other person's fault, right? It's not my fault. Like, if I'm arguing with someone, it's not my fault. It's their fault. They're wrong, right? It's not my fault. It's their fault. And we think things like, well, if they just believed what I believed, if they just thought the way I thought, if they just voted like I voted, if they just saw things the way I saw them, if they didn't do that one thing, if they didn't say that one thing, if they didn't act this certain way, then I wouldn't have acted this certain way, and we wouldn't have any conflict at all, right? It's the other person's fault. So with that in mind, your last conflict that we have an opponent, I want to go to what James has to say. Because James is going to talk about fighting and conflicts, and he starts chapter 4 off with a question. And so today, we'll be in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, 1 through 12, kind of. And he's going to start off asking a question like he does a lot of times. And James asks questions, and because questions lead to reflection. So we ask questions here at church because it leads to reflection. So he starts with a question. It's easy. What causes fights and quarrels among you? He asks you a question. He's like, why do you have so much conflict? Why are you fighting with people around you? And what's interesting in, in the actual like Greek, the word fights or conflicts and quarrels actually is this idea of a battle. It's like two sides going to war with one another. It's like a bloody battle. He goes, what creates these battles with you and other people? Why are you fighting with other people? And we're like, James, listen, Nathan already been through this. We fight with other people because they don't see things the way I do, because they're, they said something that made me mad, they did something that made me mad, so I, we fight because of other people. Well, James says, like, listen, 
That's not good enough. So he continues with verse 1 and, and verse 2. He says, here, here's the answer. He's like, I'm not just going to ask you a question. I'm going to give you an answer. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Remember, we're in a battle, right? He's like, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. And right away, we, we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. James, first of all, man, you don't know me, right? You, you're blaming me? Because again, I, I bet you the source of most of our conflict when you're thinking about it, it's the other person, it's your spouse, it's your boss, it's your coworker, it's the person you don't like. And James is like, listen, why do you fight? He goes, well, the reason you fight is, don't you have these desires that battle within you? Don't you, you, you desire, but you don't have, so you kill and you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so what do you do? You quarrel and fight. So he's like, listen, you have an opponent, and there's issues, and you're blaming everybody else. He's like, but when you, look, when you wake up and you look in the mirror every day, you got to realize the problem, the reason you fight, is you. And that's a plural you, like you all, and then also you individually. And this is what he says. He says, don't they come from your, your own desires? that battle within you? He's like, the reason you have conflict, the reason you fight with people, is that you have these desires that battle in your heart. He goes, conflicts come from desires that battle in our heart. That's where they come from. And, and these desires, and it's weird because all these desires, they're not necessarily, necessarily bad. He's like, you have desires, and you know your desires. You, you desire to have a bigger house, and you desire to have more money. You desire to have more success, and there's nothing inherently wrong about any of those things. But he's like, but you also have these desires like that you want always to be ahead, that you think you deserve more than other people, that you're always right, you want to be heard, and you don't care what other people have to say. He's like, so you have these desires. Again, they're not always bad, but what happens is that these desires that you have, all these desires that are worldly desires, he says they start to do something in you. They start to wage war on your soul. They start to battle. Don't your desires create battles within you, he says. And, and then he goes, you have the lust, there's the lust in you. For more, the lust in you for more and better is creating a battle within you. So what happens is what he's saying, it's kind of confusing. He's saying, listen, you have these desires and these desires are not all bad. But what happens is your desires become so, you become so focused on your desires. He's like, you're not getting what you want. And what happens is you're not getting what you want. And, and you have a lust for, for more and better. And, and it's creating this battle within you. And once you don't get the more, and once that lust isn't met, it ha something happens. It creates chaos. And, and it creates conflict. And he goes, you fight because your self-interest have become the number one priority in your life. And that's what he's saying. He's like, listen, you have these desires and these desires aren't being met. So what happens is this lust for more and better isn't being filled. So what starts to happen is there's a, there's a result, there's, a, there's an issue that happens is that you start to fight with other people. So deep down, all these conflicts are rooted in your desires not being met. And these desires are creating battles within you. He's like, you fight because your self-interest have become the number one priority in your life. And whenever you become the number one priority with your relationship with God, with your relationship with your spouse, with your relationship with your friends, your relationship on your team, it's going to lead to conflict. Because what if, imagine this, what if you told others, right? What if you told your spouse? What if you told your, your parents? What if you told your kids? What if you told your teammates? What if you told your, your boyfriend or girlfriend? What if you told your, your team... I will never put your needs before my own. 
Like when you're standing up there and you're saying your vows and you're looking across at your spouse and you say, well, I vow to never put your needs above mine. How's that gonna work? Anybody wanna sign up for that, right? I'm not signing up for that. So what James is saying, listen, when you do that in, in your relationships, when you do that in your churches, when you do that in your marriages, when you do that in your friendships, it creates conflict. And we can see that, but we don't actually see that, right? We realize, well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But we don't actually always see it in our lives. It's like in marriages. You know, I do marriage counseling, and they come to you, and they start talking about what's going on. And usually something along the lines is someone did something because they thought their needs weren't being met, so they looked for their needs to be met in some way that was not healthy. Or if you think about teams, um, teams start to fall apart, uh, you know, coaching or watching pro sports. That, you know, the perfect example, right? There's Odell Beckham, he wasn't getting the ball enough, or they weren't throwing him the ball enough, he wasn't scoring enough touchdowns, right? When one person's interests become above the, everybody else's, there creates conflict. But then we got to stop it and just, this is kind of like a side point. We got to remember, James is talking to churches, isn't he? He, he? He's writing to a church that's facing great persecution, and he has to take time. If you notice the letter, he doesn't talk a whole lot about the persecution. He talks about how they're acting with one another. And he's like, listen, there, there's something going on in this church that he's writing to. These, these group of Christians. It's not a church. It's a group of Christians that he's writing to. And there's conflict. And these conflicts are creating issues. And, and so we have to think about this in our own life. As If you're not a church, you know, if you're not you know, involved in church, if you're kind of new to this, you can kind of tune me out for about three, three minutes maybe, right? But you're going to come back in a second. So as a church, we've got to think about this. And we often think that our greatest threat is out there. Our greatest threat is out there. It's the world. It's the people. They've changed. They've done this. They, they think this way. And there's some, 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 some truth to that. But one of the greatest threats is within here. That's not comfortable, but it's in here. It's from our own desires. And what happens is, in churches, there becomes conflict, just like marriages, just like friendships, because we all have these desires. We come in here and we put our desires over everybody else's desires. I want to be number one. So all of a sudden, our conflicts creates an issue. Our conflict gets in the way of us fulfilling our God-ordained mission to bring the gospel to people who don't know Jesus. And we fight over the silliest things, songs, lights, location of services, and we conflict, and there's conflict, and there's conflict, and we go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Meanwhile, as we're going back and forth, there's still people out there who don't know Jesus, who need to know Jesus. And, and James is saying, listen, you have these desires, and these desires are getting in the way of your relationships, they're getting in the way of the churches, they're getting in the way uh, of your, your relationship with people around you. And what he's kind of saying is that, and it's this idea that when my desires conflict with your desires, sparks fly, and conflict is always the outcome. Because when my desires conflict with your desires, and I'm looking out for number one, and you're looking out for number one, and they meet, sparks flying, conflict is always the outcome. And when you're constantly fighting, and you're constantly getting in the way of, you know, issues are constantly coming up in marriages and relationships and churches, it gets in the way of what God really wants to do in your life. So James says, listen, there's this battle. There's a battle going on within you. And it's the battle. 
and you got this battle for your soul, and it starts with your desires. And it kind of reminds me of this old story I heard, and I'm going to be honest, I'm easily motivated. Sometimes I wake up in the morning, one of the first things I do is go to YouTube, and I'll listen to like a motivational speech I heard like 40 times. I love posters. I love sayings. I love having that stuff. I love it on t-shirts. I love motivational phrases. Well, there's a story I heard, and you've probably heard it before, right? I don't know who came up with it. I don't know when I first heard it. It's just everywhere, but it's a story about an old Cherokee grandfather talking to his Cherokee grandson. And, he t- and it's, the bat- it's the two wolves inside of you story. And, and he sa- tells his grandson, he goes, listen, grandson, there's a battle going on within me between evil and good. There's two wolves. There's one wolf, and it's evil, and it's selfish. It's, it's prideful. It's full of ego. It's full of, full of self-interest. It's full uh, of envy and jealousy, and it's full of only looking at what I want. He goes, but there's also... The good wolf, it's full of love and peace and kindness, generosity, forgiveness. It lets go of ego and lets go of pride. And these two wolves are constantly fighting with inside me. And he says, grandson, the same battle is going on within you. And then the grandson asks the grandpa, he's like, well, what wolf wins? And the story goes, well, the one that you feed. And James is saying, listen, there's a, there's a battle going on in your life, whether you like it or not. There's a battle, and it's two battles. It's the battle of living according to the flesh, living according to sin, the evil battle. Then there's the good battle, living according to God's will. He says, and these things are constantly at battle within you. And the one you feed, what side, your flesh or God's will, is going to determine the fruit in your life. And when there's conflict, it's a good indication that you're losing the battle of the flesh and the sin. And that creates conflict. And they're, they're always fighting one another. And this isn't anything new. There's a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament. You know, those letters with like Galatians, Ephesians, any they kind of funny looking names. He wrote a lot of those letters to churches. And, and he's a man who gave his life to follow Christ. A man who was completely transformed by Jesus. Even so much so that he eventually is killed for his faith. Well, in Romans chapter 7, some of my favorite Bible verses in all the Bible because I relate to them, and we've shared these before, he writes this, and it's about a battle. Listen, he goes, I don't really understand myself. Anybody ever been there? Like, why do I do what I do? For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. There's a battle going on. He goes, and I know the battle's going on. And he continues a couple verses down. I want to do what is good, but I, but I don't. I, want to do, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. He's like, listen, I don't understand myself. He goes, I, I love Jesus with all that I am, but I don't understand myself. I, I don't, and for you and me, it's like, I don't want to continually be angry. I don't want to continually give into this addiction. I don't want to continually lose my temper. I don't want to continually hold on to judgment. I don't want to continually gossip. I don't want to continually do all these things I know I don't want to do. I know I don't want to do them. But I do them anyways. And Paul's like, I desperately want to do what is right. And I know what is wrong. But I do what is wrong anyways. It's that battle. It's the battle between the flesh of the sin and God's will. And Paul's like, even though I know, Jesus, there are times I lose the battle. 
So James is saying, like, listen, you, wanna, you think we're talking about just conflict, but there's a battle going on, and we've got to understand that, and that's the root, uh, and the root of it is, is the battle going on, and the conflict is the issue of what's going on. And so if we could summarize everything that James is trying to say is, listen, conflict arises when the wrong person's on the throne. Conflict arises when you're losing the battle to the flesh and you're on the throne and God's no longer on the throne. So conflict arises when the wrong person's on the throne. And then he continues, and this is how we know it it comes from the wrong person being on the throne. He's like, listen, this conflict and this desires and this battle going on within you, it, it, it's a big deal because it goes to other areas. So he continues, he says, listen, he goes, you desire but you do not have, so you kill. So we got to think about that. You don't get you what you want, so you kill. You, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you mean, covet, you look at what other people have and you want it, and you can't have it. So what do you do? You quarrel and fight. You do not have, and then he gets, it gets interesting, he says, you do not have it because you do not ask God. He's like, you don't have those things you want because you don't ask God, or when you ask God, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So James is just saying, listen, this conflict bleeds into other areas of your life. And he gives us, in just these couple verses, he gives us three main areas that, that this conflict kind of bleeds into. And the first one is, he goes, it leads to anger in relationships. And this is really inter- interesting. He's like, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You kill. It leads us to kill, right? And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've never killed anybody. And, and it's amazing, though, what James is saying. Listen, it's amazing how angry people get as soon as they don't get what they want, Right? You know that, right? Just look at people in traffic, road rage, right? The second someone drives slower than you want, you lose it, right? He's like, and so it, this, this, these quarrels bring anger to our relationships, and it causes you to kill. And he's like, whoa, whoa, come on. I've never killed anybody. I've never done anything like that. But remember who James's brother was. It was Jesus. And remember we said that James echoes the Sermon on the Mount. What did Jesus say on the Sermon on the Mount about murder? It says, if any of you have hate in your heart for a brother or sister, it's the same as murder. So sure, James may not be saying you actually physically took an axe or a gun or a knife or did something to kill someone. But you killed someone with your thoughts. You killed someone with your, your thinking. You killed someone with that gossip. You killed someone with, with those negative you know, feelings or, or even actions that you had. It's like it brings anger into our relationships. And anger, you know, it, it can destroy relationships. So that brings us to point number two. That this conflict destroys relationships, and I put community as well. And, and what happens is you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. And it's the idea that you're envious. It's kind of what we talked about last week, that you have this selfish ambition, and you have this envy in your heart, and James says that wherever selfish ambition and envy is, is disorder and conflict of every kind, right? Evil of every kind. So what happens is he's like, you're looking around, and you see all these things you want, and you don't get them. And then you see other people have them, and you covet, and you get so upset, and you don't get them, because you, and you get so mad, because your pride tells you you deserve them. And your pride, it causes you to have quarrels and fights. And quarrels and fights and conflicts destroy relationships and destroys communities. And when, when I think about pride, and it's really about pride, you're, you're probably not, you know, you're not getting what you think you deserve. 
I, I go to Disney when I think about this, right? And I, here, let me tell you. So they say Disney is called the most magical place on earth, right? Anybody been there? We can guarantee it's. I'm not calling them a liar, but it ain't the magic, most magical place on earth, right? So you go to Disney. Me and Whitney were in Orlando a couple years ago, and we decided, you know, she loves, like, Universal. We were there, like, let's just check out Disney. We're here anyways. And uh, it was, like, the worst idea I've ever had. So it's the most magical place on earth, and, and I, I name it the place, the only place on earth where people stand in line for, you know, for, you know, hours and hours, but spend hundreds and thousands of dollars to do so. That's what I call it, right? So it's the most magical place on earth where you spend hours and hours standing in line, right? And the day we went, you know, I guess we didn't do it right. I think you have to, like, make reservations, like, 40 years out. So, like, we should have said, in 2038, we're coming, Disney. Like, let's have some spots open for us, but we didn't do that. So it was so busy, you couldn't even get to any of the good restaurants. Like, even if you had money in your hand, they weren't, they weren't sitting you because, like, you got to have reservations, right? It's an amusement park, y'all. It's not, like, the high class. Like, I thought it was, like, King's Island, but you have, a, you have to have reservations. Just eat anywhere, right? And then I was like, I, so that made me mad. Like, I spent a bunch of money to get in here. And then we started walking around. We were going to ride some rides. Well, every line we went to was, like, two hours. Two hours, like, come on, like, two hours, like, we're, and so every line, and I'm starting to get angry inside, right? I'm thinking, man, I spent all this money to get in this place, most magical place on earth, all you people told me it was, it's amazing, right? Then so we start going line by line, like, every line, two hours. So we get desperate, we're like, well, let's go to the Little Mermaid, right? Like, that's how desperate I was, like, you know, 28 years old, let's go ride the Little Mermaid, right? I don't, I've never seen the movie, don't care, but I'm riding something because I spent all this money to get in here. We get to the Little Mermaid. 160 minutes. Who in the world waits 160 minutes for a little mermaid, right? You parents must love your kids, right? Maybe one day with Natalie, I'll be waiting 160 minutes for little mermaid, but not right now in this point in my life, right? And, and at that point, I lose it. Like, I'm talking, like, I'm hot, so I'm hot, I'm hungry, and that's a bad combination. I turn into the Snickers person, right? I'm hot and I'm hungry, and I feel like I've wasted money. So I start losing it. I start yelling at Whitney. I don't know why I'm yelling at Whitney because it wasn't even her idea to go to Disney, but like we're there and she's there and I start yelling and I get upset and, and just start like ruining the entire day because of pride. Because there's, pride, there's some pride going on inside of me. And me issues with you, me issues, always become we issues. And when there's pride and there's something in you where your pride's not being met, and it leads you to, to lash out, that me issues become we issues. And I like to say it this way, what's in you, this is what James is saying, what, what's in you will come out of you, what comes out of you impacts those around you. That's pretty good, isn't it, right? What's in you? Pride, conflict, these desires, what's in you, they're going to come out of you. What comes out of you isn't just neutral. It's going to impact those around you. So if you're full, full of self and ego, James is saying that's going to come out of you. Same capacity if you're full of the gospel, if you're full of grace, if you're full of love, if you're full of those things. That's what's going to come out of you. Because what's in you will come out of you. What comes out of you impacts those around you. And when you lose that battle to your desires and to the flesh, what comes out of you creates issues with those around you. So we got anger. It, it, it brings anger in the relationships, and anger in relationships is never good. And then it destroys relationships and community because of pride and ego and selfishness. And then he changes directions completely. And here's what he says happens. 
It destroys your prayer life and your relationship with God. Hear what he says. You don't have it, whatever it is, whatever your desire may be, and he's very vague with it, but whatever your desire is, you don't have it because you don't ask God for it. And then when you ask God, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So it destroys your prayer life and your relationship with God, and we don't often think about this. But James is like, listen, you think that this conflict or this desire going on you only affects the relationship with people around you? No, it, it affects your relationship with God. It was in two ways. One, he's like, it affects your relationship, relationship in such a way, you're so full of self, you no longer pray. It's like you don't have because you don't ask for it. And, and why would you pray? Because you're top dog already. You don't need somebody to come bail you out. You don't need God to bail you out. You're good enough. You're going to get what you want, and you're going to make sure you get what you want because, hey, you're full of you, and you're you, right? Why, why would you pray? So James saying, listen, some of you, you're not even praying. And then there he goes, some of you are praying. But when you do, you know, he's like, you are praying, but he's like, first, we've got we to gotta realize, like, some of you are not praying. And, and for some people, God has become an afterthought rather than our greatest desire. He's like, listen, God is supposed to be your greatest desire, but he's become an afterthought because you're so full of you. And then some of you who do pray, he's like, you pray, and he gets really up in your grill. He's like, you pray selfishly. You, you pray for what you want. You pray, and the only, if your prayer is ever answered, it only affects you, right? It doesn't help anybody around you. It's all about you. And I love what one person says is what happens is we, we turn God into a divine waiter. He's like, you've turned God into a divine waiter. You know, you, you go to God, and what is, a, what is a waiter at a restaurant supposed to do? Give you whatever you order, right? What happens when that waiter doesn't give you what you order? Send it back, or well, I don't know what you guys do, right? Some of you eat it, some of you send it back, some of you get upset. But we turn God into a divine waiter and say, God, fulfill this desire, fulfill this need. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And then we'll check in on Sunday and we're like, hey, we're good, God. And now give me, give me, give me, give me, give me what I want. And when you don't give me what I want, God, then I'm going to have issues. So James said, listen, you're praying with selfish desires, wrong motives. And like he gets real, real serious, real, real fast. He's like, listen, you're turning God into a divine waiter. And, and we, we go to God in this kind of mentality. We go to God. So he can fill us with what we think our deepest needs are. All right? Asking him, this is so important, asking him to conform my desires to his will. We go to him saying, God, let my will be done, not your will be done. Instead of saying his will to my desires. James is saying, this is what you're doing. You're going to God and saying, God, here's my will. Conform your will to my will. Instead of what Jesus did, say, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. The point of prayer is not our will be done. It's God's will be done. And, and James is saying, listen, the same issues, the same reason you have conflict with others and have conflict with God, it's the same root issue. It goes back to that battle. And when you lose the battle to the flesh, the result is conflict with others and God. When the wrong person's on the throne, it's going to lead to conflict. And then James does not hold any punches. He goes Mike Tyson on us. And here's what he says. You adulterous people, 
Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. James uses his words very, very specifically. And he compares Christians listening and living this way like an, a, a, a spouse who stepped out on their marriage. He's like, you are, crea- you are having spiritual adultery. You are cheating on God. And those are big words. And what he's saying is like, listen, these desires that we have, we're asking them to fulfill us instead of God. You're asking the one who loves you to give you something else that would replace him and bring you pleasure. We thought we were just talking about conflict. Like, what in the world? James, this is a big deal. He's like, yeah, you're asking God who loves you more than you could ever imagine to give you something that you think is going to fulfill you instead of him. And James says this mindset is like a spouse who steps out on their marriage. You know, just kind of starts looking. Their needs aren't being met. So they start looking around and they start flirting and they start looking for some type of substitute to fulfill them. And all of a sudden they, 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 get, they cross that line and commit adultery. And James is saying, listen, you're looking for these desires that you have within you that create battle. Those desires that you have, you're looking for them to replace God. You're looking for a way outside of God for fulfillment. Can't say that, sorry. You're looking for a way outside of God to fulfill you. And he's like, listen, it's made you an enemy of God because you're friends with the world. And when, when, when he says the world, he's not talking about people necessarily. He's not, because Jesus says, go out into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize them in my name. Jesus wants us to reach people in the world. James said, you become so much of a friend of the world that when people look at you, they don't see any difference between you and the rest of the world. You say you follow Jesus, but you look just like them. You think like them, you act like them, you, you, you talk like them, you, you do all the same things they do. And there's a friendship with that. And you've chosen the morals of the world and the values of the world instead of the values and the morals of God. And he's like, you've chosen to be friends with the world and you committed adultery with God. And, and if you choose to be a friend of the world... You choose to be an enemy of God. And he's like, God doesn't want you to be the enemy, but if you live in such a way where you're always giving in the flesh and you're always living and losing the battle with the flesh, you're friends with the world, an enemy with God. Because the world is, sin, there's sin and there's wrong desires and there's hate in the world and God wants nothing to do with that. And he's like, you get the choice. Love the world or love God, but you can't do both. So we've got to ask ourselves, am I so in love with the world that I've completely pushed God out of my life? That's the question we've got to ask. And he doesn't really allow us to think about it too much because James continues. Verse 5. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he, God, jealousy longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? He's like, listen, God doesn't want you to be an enemy of the world. He doesn't want you to do that. God is jealous for you. And this isn't like the unhealthy type of jealousy. It's the type of jealousy that God looks at you and he loves you so much that he doesn't want you to find fulfillment outside of him. He doesn't want anything to step in between us and him. 
Because he knows your best life is a relationship with him. And he loves you so much, he longs to dwell on you. So much so that he doesn't want to sit back and watch you make mistakes over and over and over and over and over again. God doesn't want anything to step in between us and him. And then what James writes in verse 6 is so beautiful. I love in scripture when it says but, right? Whenever there's a big but, right? Like, you know, you think of the song back in the day, like, but when there's a but in the Bible, big buts, right? And the buts, they change everything. Here's what it says. But he gives us. So you got all that negativity. You got all that, you know, you got the adultery. You got all this battle going in within you, going on within you. He's like, but listen, that's not the end of the story. But he, God, gives us more grace that is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. What this means is it doesn't matter if you came in here today and you've chosen the world over and over and over again every single day of your life. It doesn't matter. God will give you grace. It doesn't matter if you can have continually lived to your will over God's will. It doesn't matter how far gone you have been. That's not the end of the story. Failure, adultery, and sin doesn't have to be the end of the story. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far gone you think you've been. He gives us more grace. So the question is, how do we get that grace? By abandoning selfishness and pursuing, pursuing humility. Abandoning pride, abandoning ego. And pursuing humility. And remember we started the day talking about Mike Tyson and there's a pattern and a process. Verses 7 through 10, James gives us the process to do this. Here's what he says. So here's the process of, uh, of pursuing humility, right? And it says, God shows favor to the humble but opposes the pride, proud. So here he goes. Submit yourself. Submit yourself then to God. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you, do you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. There's a four-step process we're going to go through really quick to overcome all this. One, submit, submit to God. This, this, this phrase, the military uh, phrase, it means putting, putting yourself under the authority of someone else. I believe that 99% of our problems could be, could be solved by submitting to God. Submitting your will to God's will. Putting God on the throne and taking ourselves off. So it means submitting to God and living the way he has called us to live. Forgiving, putting him first, loving the people around us. All those things. Submit to God. Submit to God's will, put him on the throne. So that's the first step. The second step is this, resist the devil. Resist the devil. He says resist. Flee from the desires that cause you to have conflict. Flee from the desires that cause you to have ego. Flee from the desires that cause you to fail. Flee from the things that cause you to give in to temptation over and over and over again. It's the idea of running from your weaknesses to God's strength. Run from your weaknesses to God's strength. Because alone, I can't overcome my desires. You can't overcome your desires. You can't overcome your addictions, your pride, your ego, your temper. So James is saying run to God. Run from your weaknesses to God's strength. Flee the devil and the promises that he will flee from you. Resist temptation and God will provide you a way out. That is the promise of scripture. So we got, we got, we got to say submit to God. We got to flee the devil and then we got to come near to God. 
one of the most beautiful things that the gospel says that God is drawing to us. And as we come to God and he's calling us to him, as we come to him, he will come to us. As, as we draw near to God, God will draw near to you. doesn't matter how far gone you think you are. As you take these steps to come near to God, you pray, you spend time in scripture, you, you, you say, God, I'm so sorry for all the things I've done. As you do that, you draw near to God, God will come to you. I, I want to say it this way. In our time of, of weaknesses, draw near, to God, draw near to God and allow him to protect us and get us through whatever battles we're going through. Draw near to him. And the, first step, the fourth step I, I put is this. Wash your hands of your ego. And he, and he talks about scripture, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. And what he's saying here is come to the point in your life where you come to the end of yourself. And you say, God, I, I don't know what I was doing. God, I, I don't know why I kept putting myself on the throne and, and it caused issues with others and it caused issues with God, you. I don't know why I, I thought the world could fulfill me. Because my entire life I've been looking in the world and, and it's not fulfilling me. Every time I think it's going to fulfill me, it always lets me down because something new comes along and something better. God, I, I don't know why I, I did this. But no longer. It's the idea of repentance. And repentance is changing direction. It's the idea of turning from sin in the flesh. Saying, God, I, I'm turning back to you. Turn back to you. I, I'm giving you the crown. I'm giving you the throne. I'm turning from my sin. I'm turning from my flesh, from my desires. I'm repenting. I'm, I'm admitting I was wrong. I'm coming to the end of myself, the end of my ego. And I'm putting you on the throne. And James says that is how you beat conflict and desires. Because those conflicts you have come from battles within you. And desires that you have to figure out the process and the pattern to beat those desires. And then he gives you a four-step process to do it. And then, and then I think about this book, this, this co collective letter that James wrote. James loved Jesus so much and believed so much in the resurrection that he's ultimately killed for his faith. And he writes to this these group of Christians who are being persecuted by the outside like we, we talked about. But he takes time, not to mention much of that persecution, but to talk about how they act with one another and to remind them something. The same reminder I want to give you and me today is we have an enemy, a real enemy, Satan. And whenever you lose focus of that, James is saying that's when conflict happens. Whenever you lose focus that there's an enemy out there who wants to devour you and destroy you, if you lose focus of that, you're going to have conflicts because you're going to give in to the flesh and the desire and the sins and Satan's going to eat you alive. And then ultimately James is murdered for his faith and his book kind of asks this question. I just want to end with this question today. And only you can answer it. But does my life reflect that Jesus is on the throne? Does my actions reflect that Jesus is on the throne of my life? Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful for everything you give us. God, and I want to just say this. If there's anyone here today who who wants to make a decision for the first time, maybe to, to put Jesus on the throne, to make the decision to follow you, to make the decision to step out of the flesh and step, into the sin, uh, step away from the sin and into your will, God. I would love to have that conversation with them. 
Father, so I, I pray today that we, we look at the, the, the root of our conflict and the source of it. We realize it, it, it starts with putting the wrong person on the throne. And we love you so much because you put Jesus on the throne so we could have a relationship with you. To your great precious name we pray. Amen. It's been great hanging out with you guys today. I hope that message challenges you and encourages you today. We would love to have you on campus sometime at one of our services at 8.30 or 10.45 on Sunday. Or to find out more information about RSEC, you can always go to the RSEC Family app. Or follow us on any social media platform at RSEC Family. Most of all, remember, you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says you matter. Now go and be blessed.